Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. My name is Jonathan Snowbell, and we are learning the sixth and final portion of Parshat Behalotecha. And we are in the middle of chapter 11, where we saw that <coughs> B'nai Israel complained that they did not have meat, and we saw that Moshe complained to God that he cannot handle being alone in the leadership. And now we will continue reading in verse 24. Vayetze Moshe, Vaydaber el Ha'am, et divre Adonai, Vayesof Shivim ish mizikne Ha'am, Vayamed, Vayamed otam sevivota ohel. So Moshe went out and told the people the words of Hashem. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. This pasuk thus describes the preparation for God's two solutions. One, Moshe addressing B'nai Israel, presumably regarding the meat. And two, Moshe gathering the 70 elders. Verse 25. Then Hashem came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took of the Spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the seventy elders. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do it again. And we will see that that final phrase demands more discussion in the translation. So now the Spirit of Moshe is placed from Moshe onto the Shivim, onto the seventy elders, and there they're able to prophesy alongside Moshe, presumably to assist him in the leadership of the people. As we said, the final phrase in the verse, Veloya Safu, Rashi brings two opposite opinions. One is that they did not continue prophesying, and the other is that they did not stop. The first opinion might be proven from by what we will not see in the future stories, an active role of the 70 elders alongside Moshe. So if they were active, if they were continuing to prophesy, why don't we hear from them? The second opinion sees the 70 elders as a viable solution to Moshe's predicament. Therefore, if they are going to be prophets and be leaders next to Moshe, it needs to be long-lasting and not a one-time event. On a, shot, on, a, on a simple reading of the text, we should note two other appearances of this verb. In Bereshit, chapter 38, regarding Yehuda's physical relationship with his daughter-in-law Tamar, the Torah testifies, yasaf od the same word, yasaf. He did not continue, or he continued, uh, he did not stop having a physical relationship with her. Presumably, it means there that once he knew her true identity, he stopped having relationship with her, relations with her. Although there too, Rashi references two opposite opinions. In Devarim, chapter 5, verse 18, regarding the appearance of God on Har Sinai, it says, Kol gadol veloyasaf, a great voice that did not stop or that did not continue. There too, Rashi brings two opposite explanations. However, in verse 22, B'nai Israel say, Im yosfim anachnu lishmo et kol Hashem elokeinu od vamatnu, which clearly means if we continue hearing God's voice, we will die. So it's important to know that there are two opinions about this verb and the other places in which it appears. We will continue in verse 26. Eldad <laughs> 
ויען יהושע בנון משרת משה מבכורה ויאמר, אדוני משה כלהם. ויאמר למשה, המקנא אתה לי? ומי ייתן כל עם אדוני נביאים? כי ייתן אדוני את רוחו עליהם. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moshe and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Yoshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moshe from his youth, said, Moshe, my lord, restrain them. But Moshe said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all Hashem's people were prophets, that Hashem would put his spirit upon them. These verses are somewhat puzzling. Who are Eldad and Medad? Where did they stay behind? As opposed to who? What did they do wrong that Yoshua says, Kilahem, restrain them or imprison them? What does Kilahem actually mean? What is Moshe's response to Yoshua? We will largely adopt Rashi's approach as it seems to explain the verses well in the simple read of the text, with one major discrepancy which we will depart from Rashi and then ultimately adopt. The 70 elders were gathered to the area surrounding the Mishkan, but Eldad and Medad remained behind in the camp. Rashi explains that dividing 70 elders evenly over 12 tribes is not possible, so they drew lots, and out of the 72 potential elders, 6 from each tribe multiplied by 12, all but two were, ch were chosen to be the 70 elders. In other words, Eldad and Medad had potential to receive the Spirit of God as part of the 70 elders, and in fact, they did, even though they were not chosen as part of the 70 elders who were around the Mishkan. As a result of the Spirit, they were prophesying, not in the safe confines of the Mishkan and next to Moshe, but in the camp in front of the people. This draws two harsh responses. One, the rush report by the young servant, perhaps, and two, Yoshua's demand that they be restrained, imprisoned, or in some other way kept from the people, kept from telling their prophecy to the people. Why this harsh response? Rashi brings a Sifri that claims that the content of their prophecy was that Moshe will die and Yoshua will bring the nation into Eretz Yisrael. This is interesting unto itself, and we will return to this notion, but it is conjectural. The verses describe no content of the prophecy, just the fact that they prophesied. Moshe's response to calm Yoshua also sounds like the objection was to the act of the prophecy and not to the content of the prophecy. Moshe does not want to have a monopoly on prophecy. Moshe, as we have said, feels alone in his leadership role. Not only does Moshe not object to there being more prophets, he encourages it. If only all of the nation would be prophets. Verse 30. Then Moshe returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. The term Vayeasef El is strange in this context. Were they not gathered already in verse 24? Additionally, what does that what does they were gathered to the camp mean? 
And why in this form, Vayeasef, as opposed to Vayeasof? As we read the upcoming verses, it will become apparent that the root, Aleph, Samech, Fe, is a Milah Mancha, a guiding word in this chapter. The root comes up a total of seven times in this section. We asked previously why, if the Asafsuf merely means the Erev Rav, why use a new unfamiliar word to describe them instead of a known term? If the Torah wants to highlight the word or the root, Asaf, Aleph, Samech, Pei, this becomes clear. The term Vaye Asef El, as opposed to Vaye Esof, is used uniquely in the Torah to describe the death of an important character. Vaye Asef El Amav is said about Avraham, Yishmael, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Aharon, and Moshe is commanded to do so too in Parashat Pinchas. Thus, the unusual use of this term in this context might be a foreshadowing tool. Moshe's death is foreshadowed here. Here, in this episode, where Moshe can no longer carry the yoke of leadership, when he loses his patience and faith in Bnei Israel, here is when the decision that Moshe cannot lead the people into Eretz Israel is made. This, then, parallels Rashi's comment regarding the content of Eldad and Medad's prophecy, which we denied as the simple meaning of the verses, as Yoshua's objection was to the act of prophesying, not to the content of the prophecy. However, this comment, too, is noting the foreshadowing evident in this section. From this point on, it starts to become apparent that Moshe will not be able to lead the nation into Eretz Israel. Verse 31. Now there went forth a wind from Hashem, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. The people spent all day, and all night, and all the next day, and gathered the quail, he who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of Hashem was kindled against the people, and Hashem struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of the place was called Kibroth Hata'ava, the burial place of those who had wanted, because they, they were buried, the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth HaTa'ava, the people set out for Hatserot, and they remained at Hatserot. Bnei Israel wanted meat, and God gave it to them, overwhelmingly so, in quantities beyond belief, taking them 36 hours to collect it, knee-deep in, in, in quail. However, all of this with a price. The Mitavim, those who desired the meat the most, those who were greedy, Presumably, the ringleaders were killed as they were buried. 
we will just contrast this to the man in Sefer Shemot, where it says, No one took too much and no one took too little. Everybody had a similar quantity. Here, the mam'it, he who took the least, received a ridiculously large portion of ten piles. This highlights that the request for meat was unnecessary. It was not fit fulfilling a need, it was fulfilling a need to complain, as we previously explained. And with this, we conclude this chapter and move on to chapter 12. Then Miriam and Aharon spoke against Moshe because of the Kushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Kushite woman. Miriam and Aharon speak out against Moshe. However, it seems that Miriam is the leader of the two, as the verb vatidaber is in singular, feminine form, and also at the end of the story, only Miriam is punished. Why did they speak out against Moshe? Because of the Kushite woman. What Kushite woman? What does this refer to? Furthermore, how does this relate to the following verse? Verse 2, And they said, Has Hashem indeed spoken only through Moshe? Has He not spoken through us as well? And Hashem heard it. This verse implies questioning Moshe's prophecy as opposed to Miriam and Aharon's prophecy. We too speak to God, not only Moshe. This claim mentioned in this second verse seems to be what God addresses in His speech in the continuation of our chapter. How does this relate to the claim of the Kushite woman in the first verse? The Rashbam tries to read the, the verses according to the simple meaning. This does not refer to Tzipora, Moshe's wife, according to the Rashbam. Kush was from the sons of Ham, and Tzipora is a Midianite woman from the sons of Keturah married to Avraham. Who then is this Kushite woman? Here the Rashbam needs to leave the realm of the simple meaning of the text and of the Tanakh, and search for outside sources. Moshe was a king of Kush, and married a Kushite woman, but did not have physical relations with her. Miriam and Aharon did not know he did not have physical relations. In addition, they also made a second complaint about his prophecy. In this instance, the Rashbam's attempt to be loyal to the simple meaning of the text leaves us wanting. We never knew about this Kushite woman. That claim is not addressed, nor is it related to God's response, which deals with Moshe's prophecy. Rashi, in contrast, understands the Kushite to be Tzipora, and the Kushite is an allegory for beauty, but relates it to the claim about prophecy. According to Rashi, Moshe stopped having relations with Tzipora because of his high level of prophecy, and to this Miriam objected. We are also prophets. We did not separate from our spouses. The claim that Moshe separated from Tzipora relates to a verse in Shmot. When God revealed himself to Bnei Israel at Har Sinai, Bnei Israel were commanded to abstain from sexual relations in advance of this event. Subsequently, after the momentous event at Har Sinai, God says to Moshe, Lech emor lahem, shu lachem lechem. Go and say to them, return to your tents. This is viewed as permission to return to the normal state of physical relations. But to Moshe, God says, Ve'ata po amod imadi, and you shall stand here with me. In contrast, Moshe is not given that permission. He must remain with God in a state of abstention. So what Rashi loses in the simple meaning of the word Kushite, he gains in being understood in the immediate context of the next verse. 
This is a challenge to his unique status as a prophet. Perhaps Yoshua's fear in the previous chapter has become realized. If prophecy becomes more common, that will lower the appreciation for Moshe's prophecy. But Moshe does not explain or justify himself. He is silent because of his modesty. Instead, God intervenes. Verse 4. Suddenly, the Hashem said to Moshe and Aharon and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of the meeting. So the three of them came out. Rashi explains that the need for the suddenness is for Miriam and Aharon to feel what it is like to be Moshe. God speaks to Moshe at will. Moshe is in a constant state of readiness for God, unlike other prophets. Verse 5. Then Hashem came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent and he called Aharon and Miriam when they had both come forward. The opening of this verse, Vayered Hashem Be'amud Anan, is reminiscent of the previous chapter regarding the elders, Vayered Hashem Be'anan, which again connects the two chapters as bringing into question Moshe's prophecy. Sharing it with others on the one hand, but maintaining his unique prophetic status nonetheless. This of course reminds us of the unique post-sin of the golden calf scene in which Moshe attained such intimacy with God that he will quote-unquote see his backside. And there too it said, Vayered Hashem Be'anan. But here God focuses his words at Aaron and Miriam. Verse 6. Vayomer Shim'una Devarai Im Yihyeh Neviachem Adonai Bamar'ai Lavet Vada Bahalom Adaberbo Lochen Avdi Moshe he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, Hashem, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moshe. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings, and he beholds the form of Hashem. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moshe? Moshe's prophecy is contrasted to the prophecy of all other prophets. All other prophets see a vision in a dream. A dream implies sleep. Not so Moshe, who is speaking to God mouth to mouth, direct, with no allegories or riddles, when he is awake. How could you question Moshe's status, status as a prophet? Verse 9. So the anger of Hashem burned against them and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aharon turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. We will not use the word leprous, but... Tzara'at, after Moshe's brief Tzara'at at the burning bush, and after the lengthy laws of Tzara'at and Sefer Vaikra, this is our first meeting with Tzara'at. Our knowledge of these laws will be crucial for understanding the few psukim till the end of our parasha. Verse 11. Then Aharon said to Moshe, O oh my Lord, 
I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly, in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Aaron beseeches Moshe to forgive. Aaron realizes that they sinned towards Moshe, and he is the source of the punishment. If he forgives the sin, the punishment might be waived. What punishment? Aaron says, Al natihi kamet. Do not, not let her be like a dead person. What is Aaron referring to? In the laws of Tzarat, one who is impure with Tzarat, the following laws apply to them. He, the, he rends his clothing, grows his hair, covers his face, warns others of his, his impurity, and sits alone outside the camp. These laws are similar to the laws of mourning. Who is the person with Tzarat mourning? Himself. He is socially banished from society. As the sages teach, the Mitzorah is considered dead. When the Mitzorah is purified, he goes through a process of a birth, of a new beginning, by shaving all of his bodily hair. Aharon does not want Miriam to be considered dead with her Tzarat. What happens? Moshe cried out to Hashem, saying, Oh Hashem, heal her, I pray. Moshe prays for her to be healed, thus showing he has forgiven. But this is not sufficient for God. Vayomer Adonai al Moshe ve'avia yarok yarak befanea haloti kalem shivat yamim tisager shivat yamim mechutz lamachane ve'achar te'asef. But Hashem said to Moshe, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may be received again. Whether as, a, whether as a parable or as a direct description, God claims that Miriam cannot be let off scot-free. She did not only sin against Moshe, but she has sinned against God, therefore she must be kept out of the camp for seven days. So the answer to Moshe's prayer was no. God gave Miriam Tzarat, Moshe prayed, and Miriam maintained the Tzarat and was banished for the camp for seven days. In order to understand the true answer to this question, we once again must turn to the laws of Tzarat. In the laws of Tzarat, there are two levels of Tzarat. Muskar, let us translate as a partial Tzarat, and Muchlat, complete. The Mishnah in Masachat Megillah discusses the differences between the two. But the most apparent difference between Muzgar, partial, and Muchlat, total, is in the length of time. A Muchlat Mitzorah does not have a time limit on the length of the time they have Tzarat. They continue to be impure until the Tzarat clears up. The most clear example of this is Uziyahu, the king of Yehuda, who received Sarat and never recovered from it till his death. However, the partial Muskar Mitzorah is impure for seven days and at that point is reevaluated with the hope of returning and becoming pure. If that is the case, let us now re-understand the verses. Aharon is beseeching Moshe that Miriam should not become like a dead per- person. Moshe prays. God is unwilling to let Miriam off scot-free. She needs a punishment. But Moshe's prayer has an impact. Instead of Miriam becoming a total mitzorah, with no limit on how long she will be banished, she is a muskar for seven days, evidenced in God's response. Tisager, God says, and he says for seven days. Final two verses. Vatisager Miriam Michutz Lamachane Shivat Yamim Vaam Lonasa Ad Heasef Miriam Vahar Naseu Haam Mehatserot Vayahanu Bemidbar Paran. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, the people moved out from Hatserot and camped in the wilderness of Paran. 
So Moshe's prayer was answered and Miriam was mitzvah for only seven days. But then the end of the verse is puzzling. The nation did not travel. We tend to not notice this verse, a short, seemingly insignificant verse at the end of a long parasha. But what did we learn at the beginning of our parasha? Does the nation decide whether to travel or not? No. The cloud cover ascends. The trumpets blast. Then B'nai Israel travel. What does it mean that the nation did not travel? If it means that the cloud cover did not ascend, that has nothing to do with the nation. That would be God's decision. However, does it perhaps mean that the cloud cover did ascend? The trumpets did blow. And nonetheless, B'nai Israel decided that they will not travel with Miriam outside of the camp. Miriam's leadership of the nation, as evidenced in the Song of the Sea, was too dear to the people, and they were not willing to travel with her outside of the camp. They waited for Miriam to return to the camp, and then they agreed to travel. And with this, we complete Parshat Behalotecha.